but let's let's get started. That's nice. I like it. Intro music. <laughs> Every podcast has it. We don't have some we have like intro music. songs that came out uh exactly what it is oh okay exactly what it is so you know welcome to the very first boys podcast we don't have a name which is which is pretty great but it'll come it'll come naturally <laughs> it'll come naturally i'm tate Madzima. i'm chris Newby. i'm cj ferguson we're just gonna talk about books that we read that's pretty. That's pretty much that's, it. That, that's basically it. it. It all came about because we were, well, Chris and I's wives are in a book club, and they kept handing us books that they were reading, and then we would read them. Actually, the first thing that happened was three of us read a book, and then Chris was reading it uh, by himself because everyone else was done, and everyone was just waiting to see like how he would respond to the twists in the book. Yeah, and it was it was a great text thread. Because it was hilarious. Spoiler alert, it was Woman in the Window. Which they're making a movie of it, and it's coming out in 2020. I know. You know, they made the movie, and they showed it to test uh, audiences, and the audiences got confused. Which that does not that does not bode well. I know. They're going to have to do reshoots on it. And but it's the guy, it's the guy who did Atonement. Which he's awesome. Yeah. Amy, it's got Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, some other people. you got to read this, CJ. You haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. It's, well, I'll check it out. Yeah. We might actually do that to you, too. Have you read it while we like ask where you are in the book? It's like the same same one when you read uh, the last time I lied. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I had everything wrong. In the <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten more things wrong. Like the day before I finished it, I was telling a coworker like, "Man, I'm like so smart." I, like <laughs> you were so wrong. <laughs> Samsonite, <laughs> way off. You're so wrong. It happens. I I didn't know what was happening in that book until. I had to reread like I don't usually reread chapters, but I reread reread like a couple of them because the twist was like what? real confusing. Yeah, uh-huh. which and then that also makes me question like there are some really good books, but I don't know how you would make it into a movie. Yeah, like I feel like anything with like a lot of internal like monologue. Yeah, and also like the twist in the last time I lied, where well the part that I had to reread. I thought they're in a flashback and they weren't in a flashback. So I don't know how, I mean, there's a way to make that in the movie, but it would be pretty obvious if you were 15 years older than what you're (laughs) supposed to be, that it's like, Oh, they're not in a flashback. It's like, so that's for smarter people than me. So for those looking for a book to read the last time I lied by Riley Sager, who is a man. Yes. And you read it and you're like, oh, oh this, this woman has some really great perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> Riley Sager is a nerdy man. Yeah. He is a middle, middle-aged man. But that's like his pseudonym. So he goes so like, to make it sound like he's a woman. Mm-hmm. That one was good. But his other Final Girls was not as good. As oh, yeah. You went on to the next one, huh? I read Final Girls. Mm-hmm. Where it wasn't as good as a follow-up. Okay. So. <laughs> to make it sound. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Riley Sager. <laughs> So here's the first question. What is the best thing that you've read that's not this book that we're going to talk about today? Well, I went ahead and read the next book that we're going to read called Boy's Life by Robert McCammon. And it is, I really do, it is great. It'll be one of those books that I want my kids to read. Um, It was recommended to us by one of our friends. And I read it and I just couldn't stop reading it. And uh, 
just a really I just love it just because the the author truly cares about his characters a lot and it, it just was very reminiscent of, of just where I grew up just in East Texas with just the people that live there and um, I really liked the way that he told the story and you didn't know what exactly was, was reality and what was not reality just because it was coming from the perspective of a 12 year old boy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, man, I was, I just really enjoyed that book. Middle school was tough. Yeah. And especially in like Alabama, <laughs> like a 12 year old growing up in Alabama in the 1960s. Yeah. There's just a lot going on. And so, which middle school are we talking about? Ooh. You know, like which middle school stuff? Like fifth and sixth grade? Like were that system's middle school? No, we're or talking seventh, like and eight? seventh and eight. I'm just talking about the age of like twelve year olds. Like John Mulaney says, twelve year old boys are honest in like the most precise the and yeah. way ever. And you listening to a story like narrated by a twelve year old is just like, man, it's rough. The internal <laughs> conflict that you're going through plus puberty. Just, just doesn't work. Pooperty, pooperty, <laughs> just such pooperty. Yeah, but yeah, it was great. I really did enjoy that book a lot, and I read his next book, which was also good. But yeah, he's a he's a really good author, and I, I was talking to my wife about it, who hates the fact that I've talked about it so much. But just <laughs> so much. Have you ever underlined a book more than you underlined no, in life? I have not underlined as much as I underlined in Boys Life, <laughs> just because there was such there were so many good, just little little things that I took from it and just the way that he describes specific situations. And, um, no, I haven't, I've never underlined as much as I have in that book and especially with, especially like a work of fiction. I've never been like, Ooh, yeah, I have to remember that because I listened to it also. And I also read it. So I'd get to a point where I'm like, Oh, I need to remember this. Mm-hmm. I need to re- underline this. But the way that it kind of tackled kids growing, a kid growing up at that age with, you know, also, um, there's a lot of mixing with like a lot of forgiveness and a lot of like redemption. There's a, there's a, there's like a lot of redemption story in that book too, but I mean, I really enjoyed it. So that, that's actually been one of my favorite things about the next book. <laughs> oh yeah. We're talking about the next book. I'm only, I'm 15% in, so I, I have nothing, I have nothing to we're offer. We're not talking about Toys Life tonight. We're talking about Today's Show Love. Spoiler alert. So, yeah. What about you, CJ? What you read? Uh, I was also uh, reading A Boy's Life, which this marks the only time, well, we've only been doing, this is our third book that I've been with mm-hmm. you guys, so. Welcome um, to the club. But this is the only time that I've been ahead of Tate, so. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. Tate's always like 15 chapters ahead of us. I don't know what happened with this book. I, I will catch up. I will catch up. Yeah, but it, it, I've been reading that. Uh, before that, I just reread Lord of the Rings for the third time. So maybe fourth time. I'm, I'm impressed. Commitment. Well, it, it's a lot easier when you listen to it. I don't think I could sit down and read Lord read of the, the Rings. Book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, like audio, you can kind of tune some of the boring stuff out while you do another yeah. task. So. And when you read it three times, you kind of know what's coming. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that's true. Well, I read, uh, I mean, uh, I read a book called Little Fires Everywhere, which I think I'm trying to place it in like my list. You know, you're always doing ranking lists in your mind of what my favorite book of the year is. It just made me think differently than what I usually do. So Little Fires Everywhere, it's about uh, Mm. Shaker Heights, Ohio, and it's written by uh, Celeste, and I'm not going to say her last name, but it's 
NG. NG. So I think, I don't know. I don't know if you just say NG or Celeste, if you're listening, let us know. You liked it? I really, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It just, it made me think about just why we make the choices that we make in terms of life. And it just made me really not even question the choices that I make, but just want to think more deeply about uh, maybe political or uh, stands that you take and just be like, I believe this because of this. And it just, it popped, popped up some questions in my mind as I was just thinking about the story. So I won't, I won't talk about what it's about because I think uh, that would spoil it for all those that you want to read it. But I think, I think it was my favorite book of the year, which is weird because we've read some really good books this year. Yeah. I don't think I've read as much as I have. Well, it's because Audible kind of changed the game mm -hmm. for me and Hoopla because shout out to Audible and Hoopla. But like those are sponsors. Yeah, please. (laughs) But seriously, like because of that, I have been able to really like soak in a lot of books. I mean, Mm -hmm. so far, I mean, I'm making a list so so far, I read like ten or eleven books this year. Yeah, and they're and you know that's I mean that's more than I you make somebody has kids listen to it on the way to work and yeah. something like that. But that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like everybody should read, right? Everybody should read. Everybody should it's read. It's great. Yeah, or listen, or listen, or listen. This is a yeah. safe place. This is a safe place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think our wives challenge us with their book club. It's yeah. like. There's no reason that I don't do this, and there's really good stuff out there. If yeah, you, if you just look look it up and I start would have reading. Not pulled boys life off, boys life off a shelf. I wouldn't have pulled. I might have pulled Eleanor Oliphant, which it's, you love. Yeah, I love that one. I mean, I probably wouldn't have pulled off a bunch of these like mystery novels. But man, I've got a whole new love for like these like cheap mystery novels <laughs> that lead you on for 75 yeah. chapters before they like <laughs> yeah. you know click and you're like oh surprise all okay. that makes sense now yeah. Yeah. everybody's crazy <laughs> <laughs> it's always people that are crazy like yeah. you can't like the first couple of books that we read was like I can't tell if they're having an inner monologue with themselves or if they're really actually yeah. seeing other things I just I'm just not sure I, I feel uneasy about this character that's telling me the story it's because so. Gone Girl ruined everything for me the, the moment I read Gone Girl <laughs> Or our friend Roy, go on, girl. The, the, moment, I read, the moment I read Gone Girl, it's it, I cannot read a mystery novel without being like, who, what is coming? What I don't is, believe you. Right I don't now. believe anyone in this story. It's, You're all liars. It's weird how a great book can do that. It can make every other book better. Mm-hmm. And it, like, uh, I mean, Game of Thrones, just the fact that like Eddard Stark. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, Oh my goodness. Uh, in the first two book yeah, season, uh-huh. um, it, it makes every book that I read so terrifying because I'm worried about the main characters now, whereas I never was before. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like that moment. I mean, we were relatively young when the sixth sense came out, but it changed the way I watched those types of movies. Like I was always like, M. Night, you're going to trick me. You're going to trick me here somewhere. <laughs> Someone's, someone over here is not alive or someone's seeing things. I just don't believe you. And that's how I feel when I read like mystery novels because I'm like, I'm going to categorize this and I bet I bet the character is talking to nobody. That's that's just what I think. That's what I think about, about them because that's – what was the girl's name in last time I lied? I can't remember. Emma? Wow. We're going to call her Emma for the purposes uh, that of That sounds right. Yeah. But it's like a sure. girl with lots of baggage. Yeah, when she starts 
talking, you're like, are you, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm not, I know I'm reading, but I'm not seeing what you're seeing. It's crazy. So read books. Yeah, it's pretty great. So like Chris said, we're talking about Station Eleven, written by Emily St. John Mandel. Mm. She is Canadian. Uh, oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Shout out Canada. And I figured, you know, as we talk about this book, what I'm going to do first is read what the synopsis of the book says uh, online. So it says, a quick synopsis is, an audacious, darkly glittering novel set in the eerie days of civilization's collapse. Station Eleven tells the spellbinding story of how a Hollywood star, his would-be savior, and a nomadic group of actors roaming the scattered outposts of the Great Lakes region risk everything for art and humanity. That's accurate. A, that sounds about right. That's a pretty good synopsis for a book that's like, you know, three hundred pages long. Three hundred pages long. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I read the synop- synopsis before I got the book on Audible, and I was not looking forward. To it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want them to risk their lives. Like, I just like, give me something. There more. are better things to risk. Yeah. Once, once the world collapses, oh, thanks, I make money with art. Please do something else. <laughs> Was it better when you learned that the art was Shakespeare and an orchestra? No. <laughs> but the book was so good that it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, it did matter. It made me care. So here, I guess the first question is, did we all enjoy the book? I loved the book. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think I would. I don't. I don't know how about I feel about post-apocalyptic things because it's everywhere now. It's like Zombieland 2 is about to come out. It's like how many times can we... Can we talk about the end of the world? But this was such a fresh take, uh, and there was lots of things in the book that I thought would end a certain way. That I was like, "Wait, you didn't Hollywood this book," which was, which is weird. So I, I did. I really enjoyed the characters and where she took them. Yeah, you didn't have the classic um, like arc that mm-hmm. these books typically have. Um, it, you know, care well. I don't know. It's spoilers, but. It's not I guess, spoilers. I guess we're, gonna, we're gonna walk into spoilers. Well, ca- characters that I I assumed they were just gonna kill almost out of like a necessity, like, oh yeah, they just have to die uh-huh. because otherwise there's no like emotional, you know, toll that the book has. But it, they didn't do that sort of thing. It, yeah. It, yeah. 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 So so the book opens with uh, a guy named Javon at like a I think he's at, oh, he's watching King Lear it's a, yeah, uh, theater at a theater in Toronto in the dead of winter, which sounds awful. Uh, and the guy that's the lead in King Lear, his name is Arthur, who is actually the main protagonist of the book, even though it's kind of weird, but he is. Uh, and he collapses on stage. Javon, who has just started paramedic school, jumps up on stage and tries to resuscitate him and uh, then other doctors show up and whisk him away and you you're not sure if he's dead or alive you end up finding out that he passed away but right at that moment when that's happening um the georgia flu not georgia the state but georgia the country swine flu is it the swine flu it's both it's like an escalated swine flu it's the georgia flu which is a swine flu so originated in the country of georgia is now ravaging and taking over the world so Basically, people are dying at alarming rates and very, very quickly. So Javon somehow finds out from a friend of his at the hospital that all these people are dying. And you should probably stock up and, and do that. So that's how our journey starts is we, we learn about Javon. We learn about Arthur. We learn about the Georgia flu. And then it just jumps to like yeah. 15 years later. I did. I, I really loved when he... 
he goes to the grocery store <laughs> before anybody knows about the flu. He just goes to the grocery store and just takes a cart and just buys everything. And the people are in there like, what is going on? And he's like, I'm going to buy all this. And then he like takes the cart to his brother's house. But like he just piles in all of this food yeah. before anybody knows anything about I, it. I love how he's still a little worried of what the clerk is thinking about. He's like, how many more of these loads can I get before she thinks that I'm absolutely crazy? <laughs> My thought as that was happening was like, it's the dead of winter in Toronto. I can't imagine. I think he ends up with like seven or eight carts. I can't imagine pushing seven carts in the dead of winter in Toronto through, through the streets. It, it, I, I just wanted to equate it to like, july in dallas and like trying to push a cart from kroger and i'm like i think i would rather just take take my chances with not having the supplies that i need yeah. during this crisis so it's pretty great but yeah and then we open we're 15 years later and there's a traveling symphony traveling through the great lakes because now the earth is decimated like nothing that you know to exist right now exists at all they don't even have the simplicity of electricity or running water and everyone's kind of feral and um, you know, fending for themselves. And so we start to learn about these characters that are in this traveling symphony. And my question when we started doing that was like, why should I care about these people? Like they weren't in the opening of the book at all, or I don't know how this attaches to the rest of the book, which is. <sighs> That's immediately how I felt. Uh, anytime that a book like has done all this groundwork to introduce me to characters and then they completely switch directions and I have to get to know new people. I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so it, it was tough for me to get to know the symphony at first. Mm-hmm. But we talked about this a little bit. Like one of the really interesting things about the symphony characters is that the symphony characters don't have names. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're all categorized by the instrument that they play. <clears throat> so it's like the tuba player, the, the cellist, the, the sixth guitar, the sixth guitar, mm-hmm. yeah. the, mm-hmm. the composer, like that wasn't the composer. It was the conductor, the conductor. Uh-huh. And so they don't have specific names. And I was like, that is such a clever way to write that and not focusing on a name, but it's like, cause with, for me, I'm like, I'm not a name person. I associate with like with the way they look or this, so it's easier to be like, Oh, the tuba player. Oh, this guy. So I thought that was just a really interesting way of categorizing specific characters when they're when when they're talking about the people in the in their group. Yeah, and it feels like because the world has changed so much, the fact that they're categorized by what they play assigns like their value mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. is is seen in like what position they occupy on on the symphonies yeah. or the orchestra stage because the conductor leads the orchestra but is also like the de facto leader of the entire group so it's like you you just you just take that and you assign it to like okay this person is important because of this position that they hold i don't know their name but they're the conductor so everyone's everything's going through them whereas sixth guitar there's five people ahead of sixth guitar it doesn't doesn't matter what happens to them Mm -hmm. maybe so it's pretty interesting yeah um it's also interesting that you know how many guitarists are cellists or whatever they're going to run into. So it's like, I mean, that in the great lakes, right? That could literally be their name for everyone that they run into, you know? Yeah. And I was talking to Chris about how like, you know, we used to have these names, like, well, we still do have our last names like Baker Mm -hmm. or Potter Mm -hmm. or, you know, these profession names and it's like, they're starting over. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So then, yeah, as they're traveling, they're traveling to like remote cities and little towns uh, back and forth. And the book 
starts to jump back and forth with like other characters that we're introduced to. So we're introduced to Miranda, who is who gives the name to the actual book because she's like uh, drawing this um, comic, I think, graphic novel. I don't know what she calls it. That it's like the uh, a Watchmen equivalent. It's right. Like, it's like a step above like a normal comic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very artsy. It's it is very artsy. Novel. She doesn't yeah, show it to anybody. No one else. <laughs> yeah, it's a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that she says, which is always hilarious, is that she doesn't care that anyone else sees it. Yeah. Which is so weird. Like, what are you drawing for if you don't care that anyone else sees it? What's the point? It's true. It's her own, it's her own work. I get it. It's like something you're really personal on. Like, you don't want to let anybody Did you have just it. take pictures for yourself that no one else I mean, could see I guess as an artist? if you're an artist, sometimes you don't, you're afraid to have somebody critique your work. Cause you're I'm the like, least I artist wanna, out of all I want to keep this close because I, I'm afraid what people will say about it. So yeah. I mean I can I can understand that just be like uh, I don't want to release this out in the world because I'm afraid people people oh, how it's gonna work and I don't know yeah maybe maybe that could have been like a hidden motive it seemed it seemed like she was more like I don't I don't care if anyone ever sees it it's <laughs> which is funny because the book <laughs> it's the book, about <laughs> it, the book's the book's name is Station Eleven and the name of the comic is Station Eleven Station Eleven and they kind of like mirror each other in in some ways yeah. like it, yeah and then ironically becomes kind of a foundational manuscript for this new civilization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We've talked about that, that guy. So yeah, so that's happening. We got Miranda and Miranda ends up ha- being, uh, the, she's the first or second. She's the, I can't remember. She's a wife of Arthur who we met in the first she's chapter. She's the second wife. I think she is the second wife. Oh, Arthur gets around. Yeah. I thought, I thought Arthur she was the around. first. I thought she was the second and Elizabeth was the third. Anyways, Arthur has a lot of wives. <laughs> As you can tell, we have lost count of how many wives he has. But, uh, yeah, it turns out Miranda was one of Arthur's wives. Uh, and their connection came about because they grew up on this tiny island in the middle of the Pacific in Canada, which I didn't know existed. And she was, like, 14 years younger than him. And they ended up getting married. And Arthur was this huge Hollywood star um, that was well-known and... Uh, and so that's where we get our connection with like the beginning of the story is like, okay, it makes sense now that you're telling me about this lady who drew this comic because she's connected to the guy that died at the beginning, the beginning of the story. That's, that's real interesting. And then, yeah, so we, we keep learning about that. Uh, I'm going to get all my timelines mixed up, but I know as we're learning about Miranda, we also learned that as the book does, yeah, as, as the book does, we also learned that Javon used to be a paparazzi, uh, photographer. Which is weird. Top of paparazzi. It makes me like him a lot less. <laughs> even really? though, even though his moment with Miranda was uh, fairly poignant, like it, it having that picture that he took of her at two o'clock in the morning. Um, yes. Yeah. That. I mean, because at that point you're you're feeling pretty sympathetic with Miranda. Yes. Arthur is uh, being Arthur. Pretty Arthur. Uh-huh. And. Uh, and so Miranda's mourning outside and she bums a cigarette and asks this guy kind of out of the goodness of his heart to just be chill. Uh-huh. And, uh, his paparazzi kicks in. Yeah. Right. At the end, he's like, well, I could either be chill or I can make three grand. So he made three grand, which is, yeah. So that, that taints your thoughts of him. I like him. I don't know. Why. He, I like, I don't I, like him. I like him later. Okay. But I, you know, that moment makes me like him less, mm. whereas he would have probably been my favorite. Just pretty interesting. We can walk into that. 
Yeah. But yeah, so then Miranda, in that moment that CJ's talking about, uh, we learn, or we've learned throughout this dinner party that they're having, which is actually depicted in Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> at the end. At the end, yeah. yeah. We learn that uh, Arthur has moved on from Miranda and is now dating, and or not dating, he's like cheating on her. With holding hands under the table mm-hmm. at oh, the dinner can party. Can you imagine? That, yeah, it's, Arthur it's like, was the worst. Arthur was the worst. Yeah, yeah. Arthur was pretty terrible. Which is another <laughs> question that we have on our list. Yeah, yeah. Arthur Arthur's was there. the worst. Uh, so Miranda ends up, you know, not being with Arthur, and she ends up uh, moving back to Toronto and becoming this like conglomerate type that travels around the world helping like shipping companies. I don't actually understand what her job is. She but just makes a lot of money. It's like she she of made friends with a rich man. You who know, gave her a job. And yeah, and then and she was really good at the job. She be really bougie and alone. Yeah. And that's no regrets. And, and keeps, like, keeps yeah. drawing too. And this yes. is like timeline number three of yeah. like th- four different timelines that are happening in this mm-hmm. book. So you gotta keep it all together. Yeah, which, it's, it's kind of like a like like lost esque where you've got That's a good you have comparison. the main story right, which is is the which is the underlying story, which is the world has gone downhill. You have this traveling troop and what's going on on with them, mm-hmm. and then you have the story of Arthur, and then you have the story of Miranda, and then you have the story of Javon, mm-hmm. and then you also have the comic book. Mm-hmm. So you have like, and it been I think the way that we describe it is probably pretty. I, I can understand how it's it's convoluted, but once you start reading it, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. how each character works. And it's kind of just telling the timeline of what is currently happening in the world that is bad, what what is leading up to that terrible mm-hmm. point, which is Javon's story, and then what is happening way before which anything, is, which yeah. is Arthur's story. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And there is there's one key like part of the timeline where there where the airport is involved. So yes, the airport. There's an airport. Uh, I don't even know where the airport is. It's a fake city. I tried to look it up on Google Maps. It did not pull up. <laughs> I was like, where is this? Because everything helps and it works in like the... It's coastal. Uh, right. It's like everything is in the Great Lakes region, so I assume this is somewhere. But this airport is this mythical land in the end where people uh, <clears throat> people around town hear about this airport What's and it think called? it's like... It's Severn called, City or something like that. Oh it's, yeah, Severn City. It yeah. has a specific name. Like it's called like the. There's like it's like it's like a historical. Yeah. Museum. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the muse, museum of. Oh man, that's a good question. But it has a specific name, and yeah. you you start of the world when you start moving through the book, you start yes. realizing why it's called what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then they go back to like the moment the Georgia flu is hitting, and the people that are actually at the airport at that moment, and it turns out since th- this world that we're learning about is about different people, but they all uh, they're all attached to Arthur in some sort of mm-hmm. way. So it turns out that. Uh, his third wife, Elizabeth, who he was holding hands with at that dinner party, uh, is at this airport with their son, whose name is Tyler. I think he's like eight. And they were flying back to the States to go to Arthur's funeral, uh, which would have been like two or three days after this whole thing was happening. And also on that flight is Clark, who is Arthur's childhood best friend, not childhood, uh, college best friend. They met in college when they were doing acting classes together. He's British and he's also flying in. They for, pal around and party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah they do kind all of your, kind of your classic college right. best friend stereotype. Yeah. He's British. He's, he is, uh, British. He's gay. Okay. He's married to a guy named, I can't remember his name. I want to give him a name, but it's going to be wrong in my mind. But anyway, 
I digress. Clark is there and they start telling us the story of this airport where, you know, these people were expecting to fly out somewhere and all of a sudden all the flights in the world were kind of grounded. And then the people that worked at the airport uh, got off shift and started to leave. So you have like a ton of people at the airport to begin with. And then people just start to trickle out because no one really understands the severity of like what's going on. Like they catalog it's, I think that's one of the coolest parts of the books. Uh, the coolest part of the book is when he's just talking about like the days that have gone by mm-hmm. when they've been sitting at the airport and what's changing, like yeah. TV, TV channels going off air mm-hmm. and like CNN's not even reporting with the reporter. Yeah. It's just like yes. Joe Schmo yeah. who can stand in front of the camera. There's, and we're yeah. like, we're ransacking this store now. Yeah. Where yeah. the guy's like, Oh, I'll take care of it. And he puts like his card on the counter uh-huh. and then like he talks about how the card never moved yeah. from that point on. His credit card. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I've got an American Express. It's not... Yeah, yeah, everyone is a little reluctant to... Um, <laughs> Survive, to, in a sense. <laughs> to steal from the store, uh-huh. initially. Uh-huh. But they need to, to survive. And yeah. so, it, there's kind of a turning point where he puts his credit card on the table and says, like, don't worry, it's on me. Yeah. And that's where, like, one of my biggest questions, as I was reading the book, which I... My struggle with growing up watching Hollywood movies is they try and put a tight little bow on everything is my question was like, you're at an airport. You must have like pilots that can fly away. Well, they talk about that a little bit where there, where you have guys that are like, Hey, I'm leaving. Do you want to come with me? And they're like, well, I, I mean, you have people that are like, well, yeah, I want to go. But then you have people like, well, maybe we shouldn't leave. Mm -hmm. Maybe something else will happen. Yeah. Some of the, uh, West Coast people end up going with... Yeah, they leave uh, with one of the pilots. And Clark even says that he regrets that he didn't go. Like mm-hmm. he, wish he, he wishes he should have gone. What I want to know is what happened to those people. Just, which is not... Yes. does not matter. It's which not within that, the world I of the book. The scope is like... It's very tight. Right. It's like, yeah. this is it. We don't we don't know why the flu started. We don't know if the flu was cured. Like, could the flu come back and kill the rest of civilization? You never figure that out. But you, she's like zoomed in. You had mentioned Zombieland earlier... And I was really refreshed that this book had an outbreak that wasn't zombie related. <laughs> like, how nice is that? I mean, that people are just dying yeah. instead of like turning feral. Zombieland came out in 2009. Uh-huh. Uh, this book was 2014, I believe. And um, it, it must have been like kind of at the tail end of all of these disaster yeah. things. And she was like, you know what? Let's just let's, let's just have them die. Yeah. Let's just, yeah. Let's, let's just have sickness, you know? Uh, that was that was really nice. Yeah, uh, you're not worried about zombies attacking you out of the woods. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more grounded. It feels yeah. It was a refreshing like, and, and that's the thing. Like that's where you can really kind of discover the humanity in each person, and they're like the because I feel like if you're doing like a zombie book, you care about the characters in that current state. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? But because that was not the main focal point, you could focus on the other stories mm-hmm. and what what was really happening with them as well. But yeah, I don't know. Next, that's it. So then, Kirsten, have we talked about Kirsten yet? Oh, Kirsten. Yes. No, we haven't talked about Kirsten. Kirsten's yet. a pretty main character or integral character in the book. You know, uh, she is, we meet her. Actually, we don't realize that we meet her earlier. At least I didn't realize that. We I meet didn't her Oh, and they're calling her Raymond. Yes. Yeah. Mm. She, yeah. So she, she's being interviewed by, in, by that one a, guy. That's a newspaper. Uh-huh. That's yeah. Put out by one person. Yeah. Who's just decided, you know what? We can have newspapers again. We can tell people what's going on in the world. 
So, yeah, he's interviewing her, and then I didn't realize she was on stage when Arthur died, which, again, we go she back to that, kid. like, yeah, yeah she's concentric circle of, like, how does Arthur pull all these people together? So, Kirsten is part of the Traveling Symphony. I could not tell you what instrument she plays, but we do know her name. Uh, and she uh, has a couple tattoos, or was it two? Was it two? The knives. Yeah, two knives. On the, yes, on the, on the cover of the book. What did you think the knives were initially? I did not know. Like, I truly did not know. Because they keep alluding to them often. Because like, you find out other characters have them as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what, 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 it, what it meant. But, I mean, you, you do find out pretty, I mean, not until, like, the end of the book. But I think you slowly start realizing it. It's revealing to you. It's like, oh, this is the amount of people that she kills. Mm-hmm. But it's I, but that's like something that they don't take lightly. Like yeah. it's something that whenever it's talked about, it's not like a badge of honor. It's more of like a, I killed someone and I took life. Yeah, I still I feel, feel bad remorse. About yes. Yeah. So and that's another thing, especially in like these like over dramatized zombie apocalypse things where violence basically becomes just this thing that's mm-hmm. normal. This is really refreshing because it's like death is is very still significant. It's significant. Mm-hmm. It's it's not something that people want to do with killing people. And so with that it's a reminder of like, oh I did something. Like I took somebody's life and I need to have that reminder in my life. And it is very significant in this society because there's so few people. Mm-hmm. There's that's yeah, that's a good point. I mean, how do they describe, they describe like running across somebody as being like such a rarity that mm-hmm. you're just excited to see another human? Yeah, yeah. Even though they're they're only traveling in a very like specific location, the Great Lakes. I mean, they're big, but it's not. They're not traveling the whole country. Like they're traveling in specific locations that you assume, you know, if that's a flourishing location, there'd be a ton of people and there really isn't. Mm-hmm. I think I, I agree with the whole, um, the significance of death. I think I have been trained because of zombie land or world war Z or 28 weeks later, whatever you want to put it in there. Like when she was agonizing over having killed two people over 15 years in my mind, I was like, that doesn't seem like a lot. Like, <laughs> Like in Zombieland, they're killing like hundreds of people a day. <laughs> but it's it was really refreshing to go. Yeah, I think what what typically happens in a post apocalyptic world is we act like the values of the world that existed before mm. automatically that's a, get that's thrown a out really of the window. Point. And in in this book, that's that's not what she's saying. Things have changed. The circumstances are very very different. But people are still treating each other with humanity and dignity because they are still worth the humanity and dignity that they had before the flu yeah. came and ravaged everybody. So the question is, was that like a known thing that if you have ni- knives tattooed on your body, you whenever someone saw that, it was automatically like, oh, you killed somebody. Like, was, did, was that just a sign for her or was that a, like a sign for everyone? It seemed like more than just her had that tattoo in mm-hmm. the symphony, but I'm not sure if it was a sign for everyone there. The interviewer, I can't remember his name. He did seemingly like she, she rebuked him for asking. She was like, you know what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which made me think that it's like it's a universal thing. Than just the symphony. Yeah. And I wonder why, like you would want to depict it too. That's a, that's a thing that stuck with me. It's like, it, 
I think you want to depict it because you you understand the significance of it. It's mm-hmm. like I I wanted to I wanted this to be a reminder of like I took someone's life and that was important and I I want to know it and I want it to be significant and I don't want to just brush it aside. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you would have it, which is mostly why we have tattoos as a reminder. We don't we're not going to tattoo something that you don't want to remember mm-hmm. generally. So yeah, I thought that was it was it was pretty powerful in terms of like switching what what you typically think of like post-apocalypse and how, how those cultures are. It's like you just, once it happens, you just throw it away. Mm-hmm. I think of walking dead. We watched walking dead until we quit about six seasons in. Yeah. Like six years ago, we stopped. <laughs> right. It's still going. It's still going. It is still going. But I remember that that was a conflict that Rick had for a while. And then at some point it just, it didn't matter. Yeah. Which is like that. And it, it continues to matter in this book. And that, and that's something and it kind of goes to, so my character, my favorite character in the book, I really like Javon. I like Javon because I feel like he is the most relatable character in my eyes. It's just a guy that's just trying to survive. Um, cause I feel like I did the same thing. Like I'd freak out cause I'm such an anxious guy, like showing up at a grocery store and just like piling this mm-hmm. stuff. But also it, the whole talking about like remembering our humanity, there's a part in the book where he is, he's just walking down just like by himself and he's like, trying to remember things about himself Mm -hmm. because he wants to remember his own humanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is such a good overall. It's like one of my favorite parts in the book of him just like remembering like, Oh, I am this person. I'm from this place. I'm from this. Cause when you're alone and when, when, when the world is kind of ended, those aren't important things to you anymore. But it, it just is a reminder of like, this is who I am. I don't want to go crazy. I'm I'm a person. Mm -hmm. And these are, Thing. So it's, it's just, I like that. And that kind of goes full force with like the, with the knife tattoos of like, just as a reminder of like humanity is important. The, I like, I'm still, I'm still a person and I don't want to go crazy, but I don't know. He's just, I think for him, for me, he was one of my favorite characters just because I can relate. I can relate with him the most. Not like I'm, I can relate with anybody else, but specifically him would be my mm-hmm. like go-to favorite character. And that. So, as we talk about crazy, let's talk about Tyler. Mm. We meet Tyler. We meet Tyler as an eight-year-old boy. Again, he's Arthur's son. He's stuck in the airport. And the only thing that he has to read is Station Eleven, correct? Yeah. He, re- yeah, he, reads, the sta- he reads Station Eleven. And then he starts reading the Bible. The Bible. Which is unfortunate for the reasons that we will talk about. But yeah, so he's reading Station Eleven. He's a pretty, pretty quiet kid. And his mom's name is Elizabeth. She is Arthur's... Uh, third wife and she always says like which i get it you're in a dangerous like you're in a place where you don't understand what's going on but her coping mechanism was to tell her son that everything has a reason or there's a purpose for everything to happen which true there's a purpose that everything's happening but (laughs) she's no explanation right like there's no explanation to an eight-year-old who's trying to like piece their world back together for you to be like oh it's happening because there's a reason for it so that that is the biggest impact on Tyler's life because he starts to read the Bible and starts to read all these apocalyptic things. There's like one section of the book, which is really eerie where he goes out to this one plane that landed like right after the flu happened and then was quarantined. So the assumption is correctly, 
that all the people in that plane just died in the plane on the runway, which is really sad to, to think about. But no one for years, no one, no one ever, ever went to that plane. They just it was it was just left on the runway. People in the airport they wouldn't knew, look at it. Yeah. yeah, they knew who was in there, uh-huh. and they did not want to go anywhere near. Right, because no one knew how the flu spread or anything. And Tyler one day is just out there reading weird passages or reciting passages about like, Oh, destiny and purpose. And this, it's okay for, for this to happen. And it was, it was just really eerie. Cause as you think about it, you're like, this kid should not be reading to the dead, reading to the dead, <laughs> leave, leave the dead alone. And someone like calls him back and then they end up leaving the airport from like revelation, two years. which is always the book. Right. 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 It's always revelation. Cause always revelation. everything out of context. <laughs> always revelation. This makes sense. Let's read this to what the dead people. Okay. Maybe Tyler's not, am I not okay? Yeah. Maybe yeah. Tyler's crazy. I think so. Tyler needs some help, but, but mama, I'm, mama doesn't care. Like mama's just like, eh, he's, he's nine. Well, Tyler's also got a lot of baggage, too, you know, because Arthur was a terrible father. Right. Oh, my God. (laughs) Everything makes sense if you have Arthur as a dad. (laughs) And they kind of they kind of hint at his being unstable before that. You know, he's he's, uh, always playing video games. Mm -hmm. Uh, He never looks up to address another human. Uh He's got like a, a little handheld, you know, and when that runs out of batteries, he's like he mourns the loss of this thing. thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's no electricity, so he can't charge it again. So what's this? His outlet is now reading Revelation. And Station 11. And Station 11. So yeah, uh, Tyler and Elizabeth, they leave um, the airport after a couple of years being at they the They get airport. a little restless. Oh, there's a traveling, uh, there's a troop of like somewhat religious people uh-huh. that kind of come by the airport. Yeah. And Tyler kind of like he's gravitates towards it, right? He's like ten, yeah. And then he leaves. So yeah, it's this this soup of uh, reading Revelation by yourself, reading Station Eleven, <laughs> not having, having your mother <laughs> tell you that there's a reason for everything mm-hmm. uh, without any context. Without or, any context, yeah, yeah. yes. And so we Tyler leaves, and then a few years later. Uh, it's like you don't you don't know where he went. You don't know what's going on. Uh, the symphony is traveling through like all the they they hit the same cities over and over again, and they go back to a city that they've been to before, looking for a couple of their friends that stayed in that city one time. And it seems a little different this time when they enter it. Like everyone's a little bit more reserved, uh, not friendly. And there's a guy that's now leading the city who was not the same guy that was leading the city the last time they were there. And he just goes by the prophet. Mm-hmm. And you're like, when you meet the prophet, you're just like, oh, this guy, this guy is. His multiple wives. Right. Child brides is what he's taking. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. And he just selects them and, and he has these goons that like just go kidnap them for him to be part of his harem of we- women. And that's actually one of my favorite parts of the book. Not the, the kidnapping. kidnapping. Okay. For the, for the <laughs> Not for child brides. Uh, no, but when they first enter that town uh-huh. um, and there's like this, it's one of the more unsettling moments of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's like a suspense as you kind of know yeah. that something's off and, and they know that something's off and, and they actually have a kind of a protocol uh, that the symphony goes through mm-hmm. um, and so I think they like separate a little bit, like two people go in, the rest mm-hmm. kind of get some like, 
some sort of supplies together for the situation. And uh, one of my favorite parts is that a lot of the, a lot of Tyler's people are like hanging out in a Wendy's. Mm -hmm. And I just love the idea of like, you know, this Wendy's that's been repurposed for Mm -hmm. uh, living for this crazy person. Now, so like CJ said, we find out later. I I think I asked this as we were reading because again, I, I think I was a few chapters ahead of everyone, and I I had a feeling when we met the prophet that he was the crazy kid from the airport, but I could I couldn't be sure because I was like the earth has gone to crap. So it could, a lot of people it, it could, be, could crazy. be crazy. And also the other thing about your favorite part of the book is like it's also like the first part of the book where the danger is not the flu. Like mm-hmm. something that's dangerous is not this disease that you're kind of waiting for this moment, right? Yeah, because of because of how often it happens in right. other books, right? It's like, yeah, obviously, people are going to fend for themselves. Some people are going to go crazy. So, so yeah, you 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 figure out like this crazy person has to be tied in, and you you later figure out crazy person and child that was reading to dead people in the airplane. <laughs> Same, same person. Spoiler alert. It's Tyler, everybody. <laughs> it's Tyler, everybody. Tyler's back. He and is now calling crazier is people are following him. Oh, man. I don't even... I don't get it. How does that happen? They have nothing else to cling to. So it's like, what... This is where we're going to cling to is this guy who... But he doesn't even feel charismatic, like, well, even as he talks. He, he did feels have a creepy. Fairly strong show of force in almost every talent he That's true. Through. So it's... It's like you, know, you get in line or fall behind. You were get die. Yeah. <laughs> you get in line and you die. Yeah. You die. So, yeah. So, the symphonies creeped out and uh, they end up by mistake kidnapping one of the child brides <laughs> because they, child bride wants she to get gets, out of there. She, she gets, gets it. She, she does, they don't kidnap her. She's just like, I'm out she, of here. Because, she, because she knows. She she she's been there. She she's knows like, what's I don't she knows what's coming. This. I don't want to be part of this. Yeah, there's a nice moment where Kirsten's being followed by her, and she thinks she's kind of like a tail or like a scout mm-hmm. for the prophet. Mm-hmm. But uh, and you, that's what you're assuming is happening. But yeah. then later on, they they find her like bundled up in their stuff or something like yeah. that. She's like a stowaway. Mm-hmm. But on but kind of going back to the thing you said about like people following him like there's that moment where like they're get they're leaving the city and there's that kid that's sitting outside and they're he's gonna be like the person that tells them not to leave but mm-hmm. instead he's like can i come with you please <laughs> can i come with you and they're like no you can't so it's even these people who are like his followers are just like we're probably this is probably all wrong we should we i should get out of here yeah. now and he's the kid who ends up like getting the prophet on their tail mm-hmm it's very true. Yeah. So that that stowaway starts a chain of events that is what we would call unfortunate. <laughs> I think a little bit unfortunate. So they leave the town and then they figure out that they have the stowaway and the prophet, he's angry that his child bride has run away. He starts stealing people. So he starts stealing people. I don't – did they ever talk about how that happened? I don't know. people that just went – they went and went to the bathroom or they just went away and he had people that were following him. They just stole him in silence, snatched him up. And so that's when you start realizing the rules of the troop, which is if you get, if you get separated from the group, you go to the place that That the group's going to next, going to next, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's smart. But at the same time, it's also like terrifying because you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see these people again. Yeah. 
and they've been your family for however long you've been with them. Which how did for Kirsten's sake? It's like since she was eight, right? Yeah. Which how did how did Chris? I could I forgot. How did she get separated? How did she get separated from the group with that other kid? She was with uh, August. Was it her yeah. in August? They because so what the group would do is they would send like a couple of people like two miles or a mile or two ahead of where the group was going to camp so that they could be lookouts for anyone coming in and then like, you know, yell or whatever and get back in time. And they had two people that went and were the lookouts, but they never came back. So then Kristen and August were the next two in line to go check out what was happening. And they went to check it out. They couldn't find, they found no trace of them. They couldn't figure out what was going on. And then they saw houses and they were like, because when you see houses at this point, you want to you wanna check to see if there's any supplies. So they go to the houses to see if they could, like, loot them. Then like it starts a treasure to, trove right, yeah, and they stuff. Yes, and they start to get all this stuff. It's, it's a rarity. It's an untouched house. Mm-hmm. I love that part in that book yeah. where they, like, show up. and Because you are feeling for these people, and they show up, and there's just stuff. Like, that good they need, stuff right? everywhere. And you're in that moment of, like, yeah, this is great. Like, yeah. I'm like, this is so great. Then it starts to rain, and and then they get back to where the symphony is supposed to be, and everyone's gone. Like, no one's there anymore. So then that's when we figure out, you know, you're supposed to go to the next town. So they just start to make their way to the next town. Which is to Severin. Because mm-hmm. they're going to uh, the place... Uh, of the museum of whatever modern or natural uh, civilization history. civilization there we go that's the word so they're going going there because they've heard good things about it and isn't that where the their friends went the ones that were pregnant mm-hmm. yeah and they're yes that was that was the thing that we missed yeah when they went to that town that the prophet had finally taken over their friends that they had left there weren't there anymore and people told them they went to the museum of civilization so they're going to try and find them uh, but yeah, as so this is the part of the book where I was like, ooh, all these worlds are about to converge mm-hmm. because, you know, Clark, Arthur's best friend, he's at the Museum of Civilization. We figured out that Tyler is the prophet and he's chasing uh, Kirsten to the Museum of Civilization. We figured out that Kirsten was there when Arthur died and um, like witnessed this like thing that probably shaped her life in some way. And all three of these, right. All three of these people are about to converge and they don't, they have something in common that is pretty strange to have in common, but also really powerful in a world where 90% of the people are dead. Uh, so it's like, so as I was reading that, I was like, I'm really excited to see like how that culminates and and what that looks like. So, but yeah, so as they're traveling, um, they're almost to the airport and Tyler catches up to them. Uh, and, uh, there's like people get caught and, and they get tied up and they're on like the abandoned highway where mm-hmm. it's like all of these cars. It's like any post-apocalyptic <laughs> movie or TV show has the, has the one the, scene, the road of cars <laughs> and that's where they find. I've always wondered about that. It's like, I mean, I have, I've been in traffic before. Which <laughs> is like, I give up and get out of the car. We're leaving. <laughs> like, is there no front car that people can get in and, and drive away? There's gotta be a car at the front. Of whatever this line is. Everybody stops their cars and then gets out. That guy walks into the woods or walks somewhere else. So, so yeah, that happens. They're weaving through these cars and they, they come to a face to face with the prophet. Uh, he, he catches them basically. And at this point you really see how crazy he is. You're like, Oh, she's going to die. Like you're ready for this. One of the main protagonists of the book to be shot. And the kid, was it the kid that waved them out? There's another kid. There was a kid that was with the prophet 
Uh, yeah, he ends up, that kid. Yeah, yeah, the kid that waves the symphony out that wants to go. He's with the symphony. sympathetic. Mm-hmm. He's very sympathetic, and so he uh, kind of, at a, in a moment before they are off or whatever, he's able to kind of save them mm-hmm. or do something to allow them to kind of escape. Yeah. Well, Tyler says something that a quote from Station Eleven because you know that's his like spiritual mm-hmm. uh, guide and. Kristen recognizes it and she's like, there's not, she hasn't met any other people in the world mm-hmm. that have this comic because no one, you know, has no it. one else three has people that yeah. were given this comic. Yeah. Cause it was given to her by Arthur because he got three copies and he gave the other copy to his son. So yeah. So she has this book and she's like, this is, this is interesting. And he's like kind of caught off guard cause they have this kind of like, Oh, I recognize what you're saying. And then that kid shoots Tyler, the prophet, the prophet dies, and then that kid commits suicide. And yeah, that's maybe the most tragic part of the book. Yeah, I, yeah, I could. They're like, no, it's okay. We'll figure this out. And he's like, nope, done. And just like ends up killing. Himself. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Yeah, it's pretty sad. So, so then that happens, and then Kirsten ends up at the airport. August shooting people from the woods was super oh, badass. That was was that bow and arrow? What do you have? Yeah, or a crossbow, like a makeshift crossbow. crossbow. Yeah. We just started killing people from mm-hmm. like, the, the trees. Yes. Yeah. He, his, his knives went from like three to five mm-hmm. in that moment, which was pretty great. But yeah, she gets, she finally gets to the airport and her friends are there and they've had this baby and they are reunited. And then there's another moment where I'm like, oh, okay, now Clark and Kirsten can have a conversation about this person that they know. And... Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't happen, which I don't, I feel disappointed by that. Um, and I don't know why I feel it feels like by. somewhat realistic almost, but you, you almost don't want it to be realistic in mm-hmm. that moment. Like, like why would Clark and Kirsten talk about Arthur Leander? You know what I mean? What, what would cause them to talk about? Yeah. Him? I don't, I don't know. Cause Clark is, you know, Clark is, is storing all these memories of Arthur um, but why would anyone want to hear about those memories mm-hmm. about a movie star who was out of their reach, who they wouldn't have known who they interacted with as a child. And, and Clark has in some ways become more reclusive at this point. So right. he's, he's kind of stewarding the museum and, but yeah, it, it was, it was disappointing to, to not have a little bit of closure there. Yeah. Cause there's a moment where like Clark goes to get her while they're, the symphony is happening and they take a walk to like, the air traffic control tower where it's like a lookout. And in that moment I was like, Oh, they're going to have this like, it's like really talk. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. And then it's, it's not that just like, Huh? What did they talk about in the, in that tower? I don't even remember. I think it cuts the conversation and then it shows her like leaving with some items. Like they've exchanged items. Yeah. She leaves the station 11 for him and she takes some other things. Right. Or is you're talking, well, that might right, be yeah. Book. I'm trying, yeah, but the, Clark is actually, I think, probably my favorite mm. character. Well, let's go into that. I think that's that's pretty much the end of the book. Um, I think we probably missed a lot of a lot of things, but it's a great book. Um, you should read it if you haven't already read it. Spoiler alert: We've told you everything that happens, but you should still read it. Kind of everything. That yeah, kind of everything. We we probably. Oh, this is what we didn't get back into. We didn't talk about Javon. He is mm-hmm. still alive. He's still alive. And he has he meets somebody, he gets married and has kids. Yeah, he lives in like Virginia somewhere. So he walks Isn't from, he uh, the person who 
stewards the so at, at the end of the book they see lights in the distance and they're like oh my gosh somebody has figured out electricity which is just a huge oh, yeah. discovery I, and it's i thought it was him it's kind of the hope of like that, that, is that the book leaves you with uh-huh um and i, I could have swore that it was jeevan sorry so in the audiobook it says jeevan <laughs> and then you guys say javon like so uh to each his own, you know. Yeah, yeah, whatever you yeah, want, yeah. but it's Javon. You can call him Jeevan, but it's it's <laughs> you you can. Uh, but yeah, you think it's it's his community that's discovered electricity? I thought I thought that it hinted at that. I think it does, and I was thinking that too when they saw the lights. I just didn't go back to go. What clues do I have here? Because yeah, he he walked out of Toronto. It tells us a little bit about what happened there, and then he ends up in this like colony in Virginia. Has a wife and two kids, and they just start talking about like life, like contemplating like what what do we tell our kids about the past? Like, do we do we tell them what it was like? Do we just not talk about the past and just forge ahead and in the such, future? Like a good. And again, it goes back to why I really like him a lot as a character. He's one of my favorites, is because he—that's a conversation you would have. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like if I was to sit down with my wife and be like, "What? How do we talk about this? Right? This thing? It's that hard. Happened? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You're weighing the pros and cons of mm-hmm. whether or not it's beneficial for him to know that he used to be able to fly on a plane halfway across the world. Yeah. Or have uh, Easy fixes to certain illnesses. Mm-hmm. I like the part when they're when one of the parts that I really I took a just it's just like a little simple part, but when they're like when August and Kirsten are leaving the house and Kirsten's like, I wanted to lock the door because that was something that you did, right? And it's like, but I'm never coming back to this house, so I'm not, not gonna really. lock the door. Yeah. So it's like these things that you've always taken for granted to keep safe, but there's like there's nothing here, that right? Just keep, yeah. And doesn't Jeevan's son like mourn that he'll probably die before you know seventy or eighty? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when he finds out how, how old his, how his old father will be. Uh huh. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it's so interesting about just again how it comes back to like the community of people and like what truly yeah. just kind of keeps them grounded. Grounded, yeah. Okay, we're gonna do some quick hits. That's what I'm calling this section right here. Quick hits. No, oh, yeah. Look at the jingle. It'll probably change, but uh, the first quick <laughs> the first quick hit is uh, who is your favorite character and why? Chris, you've already said Javon, man. He's just again, I re- I relate to that guy. Like I relate to him. It's not all the crazy stuff, like. I don't think I'd be a paparazzi guy, but some of the other things where he's just—I get it. He's one you—you you want to remember who you are. You want to know who you—you you want to like come back to that focal point of I'm this person. I don't want to forget this because if I forget this, I'll lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to the way that him and his wife talked about how do we discuss this with our kids? How do we how do we deal with the situation? But I mean, I would say that he had a happy ending. Yeah. Like, not everybody else in the story had a happy ending, but, Mm -hmm. like, there was a conclusion to him and his, like, as much as a conclusion can be. Because he wasn't happy as a paparazzi. Mm -hmm. No. He he felt like a scumbag. Yeah, he was only starting to get happy as a paramedic when everything... To help people. Yes. Collapses. Yeah, he he wanted to help people. He wanted to do something worthwhile and meaningful, and he ended up being one of the few people who found their meaning after... Mm-hmm. The civilization collapse. Yeah, which is crazy that that's what it causes you to figure out who you are. 
He was my favorite character too, uh, as I was thinking about it. I, it's like just the opening of the book. He springs to action in multiple ways. Like mm-hmm. a guy passes out on stage and he's just up and doing CPR or, you know, his friend calls from the hospital and is like, Hey, the world's going to crap. And he gets goes seven, eight buddies brother. and goes take, take care of his brother who can't leave the apartment cause he's in, in a wheelchair. And uh, he calls his girlfriend who they're fighting, but he like gives her information. We never hear the resolution of that, but he's still, he's like action oriented and he's doing all these things. And he's, and he also survives, um, in a way that looks like he's thriving. He's not like, He's not looking back and regretting, even though, you know, he lost his brother, he lost his girlfriend, he lost pretty much everyone. But as he looks at his life and the life that he makes, it's like, you've made the best out of a really bad, terrible situation. So, uh, he is definitely my favorite. with his girlfriend. <laughs> and I love, and he's like, you never listen to me. And he's like, I'm trying to tell you that the world's ending. She's like, yeah, uh, did you pick up this? Or what, what, she's just like, she's like totally not listening to over what he's saying. Yeah. Who's your favorite CJ? Uh, I, I like Clark. Um, and maybe it just kind of is based on one moment in particular, but I, I kind of felt for Miranda, uh, as you're reading the book, you know, she's this artsy girl who's in a big city. She's from an Island and, um, her parents hook her up with Clark, uh, with uh, Arthur mm-hmm. and Arthur is like supposed to kind of help her get acquainted with the big city. But instead he's kind of this cool movie star who mm-hmm. pops down in on this younger woman mm-hmm. and then, and then they're married and in the marriage, nothing can satisfy Arthur's, uh, endless appetite. Mm-hmm. So that, that ends and you know, so she's kind of left stranded. But in this moment of you're realizing that their marriage isn't going to work, uh, Clark is is very sweet to Miranda, and that's kind of what won me to him. Uh, all, just his character, uh, not not a book character, but his his quality of person, uh-huh. uh, I think is displayed multiple times. Like at, at the airport, he's kind of an even keeled. Uh, voice of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, he comforts Miranda, like I mentioned. Um, and yeah, I just, I just liked his thoughts too. Just his inner, inner monologue was, was always enjoyable. But. Okay. Quick hit. Number two, trash person of the book. Arthur was such a trash person. <laughs> Is that your trash person of the book? He was just, man, he was all, Arthur was always all about Arthur, but mm-hmm. he didn't realize who he truly was until the end of his life, basically. Mm-hmm. Because even his, like one of the things that he talks about is like, he's like, I've always loved movies and good movies because you're basically immortalized in those things. But he was just, man, I mean. Which is ironic because I don't think anyone's watched a movie since the world. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can't, we only remember Arthur because of the story. Right. <laughs> Strangely though, he is somewhat immortalized because of the all, all the yeah, characters yeah. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, he's a, I feel like his quality, the quality of the person that he is makes him a trash person. But I mean, he is a majority of what the book is about, but he, I think, which is a, interesting that yeah. the, the trash person is the center. He is a, he is a heat of warning of like, don't, don't be, be that, don't guy. be an Arthur. Don't be an Arthur. I mean, Arthur, be a, be a Javon. Who's your trash person? Oh, it's Arthur. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. I mean, Tyler is a result of Arthur being a trash person. (laughs) So 
you know, it, <laughs> because so of the baggage that author brings upon uh, the, the world. Here is Tyler. Yeah. yeah. My trash person. I went away. I, I really agonized over it. Elizabeth is my trash person of the book. Gosh, Elizabeth is the worst. <laughs> she is terrible. She truly is the terrible Listen, mom. I understand Arthur, villain, Tyler, you know, prophet, villain, but it's it, it's that. It's the idea of like you first of all, you flirted with a married man yes. at a dinner party with his wife in in, in, the, in room. the room. They were holding hands. Yeah, the under the table. That's that's not okay, first of all. Secondly, the other thing I have for her is she allowed her son to pursue some nonsensical religious whatever you want to call it by enabling him and just saying, you know yeah. what, everything no, happens from goes. My mom goes, my mom is just like, hey, hey, uh, mom, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to the, the plane with all the dead people and read Revelations. And the mom's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, follow, follow your heart. She would totally say that. Elizabeth would be like, follow your heart. Yes, oh. that's exactly what it. That's exactly what it is. It's like the follow your heart yeah. thing. Follow she heart. let him. She let him be that. And I, I, I was, you know, I don't want to get psychological, but I will. Your family of origin determines a lot about who you become, and you can tell one. He had a trash dad. His mom, who was with him as he was growing up, was just the worst, and she enabled him. So that's why she's my trash person. Trash person. She, she's like the worst kind of optimist. You know? <laughs> she's always <laughs> she likes Joel Osteen books. <laughs> <laughs> your really, best life she, now. She loves those. She loves like like girl wipe off your face books. She is, those that she would totally be that mom. I think she's got all those uh, you know uh, mantras on her yes, on a mirror. Gosh, she like buys all the mantras from like Hobby Lobby and they're like all over her house. She just reads them uh, as she walks by every time. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, my trash person. Okay, uh, quick hit number three. What was your biggest surprise? I mean, I feel like the whole Tyler becoming being the prophet was was sort of a surprise. You kind of figured out a you little bit before the reveal. Out. I mean, that was the. I feel like that was the biggest. Like, whoa! Can you believe mm-hmm. that? Like that whole thing. Um, but also, I think the stuff with when you found out that Station Eleven and who the who Station Eleven was about was it was Miranda. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the one when the, the main character in Station Eleven who you thought was somebody else was, was actually her portraying her. herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was sad in a Just lot of ways. Very sad. Like how she reflected on her life. Was it wasn't in like I mean, I I know we don't all look at our lives as rosy and awesome, but she didn't seem like she loved some of the elements of what happened to her in her life and she just documented that. What's your biggest surprise? CJ? I don't know. Okay. I'm sure I was trying to think while you guys were speaking about it. Great. I'll go with mine. Okay. Keep thinking. Oh, yeah, My yeah, biggest yeah, surprise yeah. was the fact that uh, Tyler and Kirsten didn't come to that conversation. I thought there would be some sort of conversation where they both realized, mm-hmm. you know, I was there when your dad died, uh, your trash father. I was I was present when he died, and for Tyler to go, oh, that was my father that you interacted with as a kid, and he he gave. We were the only two people in the world that he gave this book to because basically he doesn't have real good relationships with anyone else. So I was just surprised that that you know when they came to face to face, it it ended pretty quickly. It was like, oh, he's shot, he's dead. She's never going to know that that's Arthur Leander's son, mm. um, and this is someone that she thinks about all the time like her interview talks about him and she has station 11 and is 
every time she goes into a house, she's searching to see if anyone else has a copy of the station 11. And the only person that does is this dude that's trying to kill her. And not that it was going to like redeem them in any way. Right. Of Arthur. Yeah. She's got all these, the scrapbook of newspaper clippings of Arthur. So I just expected this is a culmination of like what you've been collecting this history about this person. And this is like a part of this Mm -hmm. person right in front of you. And, Instead, he just gets shot and dies, and they don't have a conversation. So that was my biggest surprise. But yeah, I, w- I would say the lights at the end were my biggest surprise. I was mm-hmm. glad that she kind of left you with a little bit of hope, mm. and the whole time I was like, "You telling me none of these people <laughs> could figure out the electricity?" Like, <laughs> how many did all the scientists die? Like, did everyone? That was my thing. It was like I understand that people died. But there's libraries and museums that have books on how electricity works. And if they could do that in the early 1900s, can no one walk to a library and read a book? Did everyone <laughs> stop learning and knowing how to read? I don't understand. No, they can read Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, and they can do Shakespeare. Shakespeare that, 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 that was my one thing. It's like, I, unless the Georgia flu like erased all the books from history, and I understand we use the internet a lot, but there's still books. You still have books that you can look at. So... I'm with you. Yeah. And, and maybe they're just, maybe they're roving, you know, to look and see if they can find like somebody else who's done it or mm-hmm. a piece of civilization that survived. And so maybe everyone's kind of just pushing that down the road. Like, Oh yeah. Someone else will, will we'll learn yeah. electricity again later, but <laughs> but really like this is a dead board. Now is the time because your kids are not going to know it. You know, they're born in the now. Oh man. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. And then the final quick hit is, is there anything that you would have done differently if you were an author? Not that any of us are authors. I know it's hard to argue with somebody whose name is Emily St. John Mandel. <laughs> yeah. Those are just a lot of good names. It was a, I mean, I don't know. I, it's a beautiful book, man. It was really she, great. She was, uh, she had good words. I liked her words. Put together, <laughs> forming your words, sentences. Your words are good, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I really did enjoy it. I don't know if there was anything I would change. Yeah about it I don't think anything that I would change would make the book better I think it would make it worse so uh, (laughs) yeah yeah it's like it's only it's only things to satisfy my like my like wanting to round out a story which Mm. is not it's not the purpose of the book and I'm learning as I read more books fiction and otherwise like rounding out the story is not always the purpose of the book Um, and it's okay to sit in the tension of like I don't I don't know. And maybe the author probably thought about it, but they don't, they don't know, or they don't think that you knowing is going to be helpful. So the only thing I would, I thought about changing would be like putting a tight little bow around some conversations, but they don't need it. So I'd probably say I wouldn't change anything, which might be the only book I would say that about as we keep going. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I wanted some more violence, but (laughs) That you wouldn't make you it. You want more knife like, tattoos? Yeah, I want to, you know. <laughs> I want everybody, I want to have somebody with a knife tattoo like, right across their neck. That was real serious. They, they, they lost space on their body because they got so many knife I tattoos. I got so many knife tattoos. Good thing she didn't call me and say, hey, what do you think this book needs? More knife tattoos. That's hilarious. Well, that's great. That's Station Eleven, everybody. So go pick it up if you haven't read it. Um, for the next time that we will be together, we will be talking about Boy's Life. 
Boy's Life. So, read Boy's Life so that it's not a spoiler as we talk about it. Yeah, and Boy's I think it's double the length of this book, but Chris read it in half the time, so <laughs> I am I'm trying to get on my horse and get it, get it done. CJ, how much time you have left? You have 16 minutes? Yes. Yeah, I'm way behind. Yeah, I've read that. Oh, shoot. I've read, there it is. I've read a lot. I've read three books in that in the time frame of that. I, I will finish it, and we will talk about it soon. It's going to be good. Tate, Tate started this book, and it killed his whole uh, book reading spree that he was on. We killed Tate's book reading. It'll be back. It will be back. We, we'll, we'll revive it. Yeah. Well, that's it for us. Thanks, uh, all, all all the guy people who are listening to this. Mm-hmm. The, all, hey, basically wives. Our wives. hey, wives! We only only have all we only have one of one one a piece. One, one have, a piece. We are not Arthur. We are not Trash Arthur, person. and we're not a the prophet of childbirth. Oh my god! So, uh, thank you. All right, signing off. Bye. Bye.